All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Devana. And I'm David Ioa, and with us is a very special guest, someone who Daniel and I met at Spooky Empire. She had a fantastic panel uh, where we just kind of hung out and talked, and it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, so, uh, Sparkle, welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on here and for your kind words. Um, well, they're, um, I'm glad they're kind because they're true. Uh, I always try to be truthful. Um, and if kindness is something that happens as a, as an effect of that, then that's great. Um, but one of the things that we always do with our guests when we have them on for the very first time, um, and hopefully this is a first time, not a last time, right? Um, is we ask them what their kind of introduction to horror was like what got you into horror if there was like one thing where you're like yeah that's the thing that did it for me what would it be i would have to say just like as a kid my mom she was a young mother so i mm -hmm. remember like my mom watching scary movies and ever since then like you know back as far as i can remember i've always been like, in, you know, I started off being intrigued by horror just as a, a young kid. So it's always kind of been there. That's, you know, oddly enough, it kind of is like that for me as well. A lot of my my tastes come from my mother. My, my dad and I, I don't feel like we have too much in common. Like, you know, we like action movies. We can bond over that. But um, but like my mom's into horror. And I remember being um, being young um, and sneaking into the living room to watch x-files with her because i wasn't allowed to watch it and i remember specifically one episode where there was like a twin that like oh yeah they were hiding it was like a carnival act or something like yes. that and i remember i was watching from behind the couch she had no idea i was in the room watching and she was watching and the the thing popped out and it it killed somebody and i shouted I went ah and she turned around she was like what are you doing here i said i don't know and i ran back into my room and it was <laughs> i i think maybe the first thing that ever scared me and um, I don't know, it must have been like 92, 93. I, say, like that. I, was like just, I think that's a season one episode. That's it, like it was, a yeah. Monster of the Week uh, original. What was it called? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it, yeah, that, that one's early on in the series. It is It is a season one or season two. I can't remember what it was. And it is a Monster of the Week. It's not one of those like mythology episodes. I ended up rewatching the thing um, much, much later, like the whole show. And I remember watching it. I'm like, well, it's not as scary as I remember it being. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, the, the yeah, sheen has you know, kind of gone parents. from some of the from some of those shows when you go back and watch them. X Files being one of them. Uh, but yet, yeah, no, 
shout out to parents, by the way, that mm-hmm. that that are getting us into horror. Funny, uh, just before we get started, I have a really funny parent story. So my folks were in town this past weekend, and uh, my dad has started like using this show as like as a, a cue of what he should watch, and then he goes and listens to the episodes. And so he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, I, f- I finally watched Barbarian. And then I watched your episode and I was like, oh man, here it comes. Right. Like just ready for him to just blow me away with how we're stupid because we didn't like it that much or whatever. And he goes, he goes, I got so mad because everything you pointed out was so obvious. And I liked it until the 90 minutes were over of listening to y'all. Now I don't want anything to do with it. And I was like, ah, we got one. We got one. Yeah. I'm glad we've finally been able to convince one person. Not like I have some sort of agenda against barbarian because it's a perfectly well-made movie, but um, it did become our, movie. it did become our 2023 hot take. Just that yeah. whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool to get to meet you at spooky. So I'm going to put you on the spot one more time here what was your uh what was the coolest moment for you did you did you meet anybody that was super great or what was just like the best part of spooky for you because it was our first one so we still kind of are looking back on it just amazed that we even went well i've been going to spooky for a few years now and it used to be that the biggest deal was meeting the celebrities but then it got to be to where it was talking to the fellow horror fans but I am going to say I got a glimpse of Kiefer Sutherland, and that was probably like the coolest moment. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, Kiefer yeah, can still get it. Like, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's looking good, Kiefer. He's looking pretty good. We did we when we saw him, our takeaway was we didn't realize he had like sleeve tattoos. Like he had his sleeves like rolled up, and we didn't realize he was tattooed like all the way down to his wrists. He was, I had no idea he was immediately hotter. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, and and what makes it better? This is a bonus, but one um one of my TikTok mutuals had met Keeper Sutherland years ago. He and his girlfriend were bowling next to them, and he was telling me about how cool he was. He went and high fived him. So I loved hearing that he's a nice person. That just like added to his cool points with me. That's all. Yeah, I felt I felt bad for Jason Patrick though. Being in the booth right next, right to, next to Kiefer, <laughs> and Kiefer just constantly mm-hmm. has a line of like twenty to fifty people, and Jason Patrick's just sitting there like, "I was the one who won in Lost Boys," you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like one dude comes by and Jason Patrick's just hyped that like anybody's there for him. I was like, "Oh, kind of feel bad for him." Yeah. You don't yeah, have to feel bad for Jason awkward. Patrick, man. No, I really don't. That's a good point. <laughs> Jason Patrick uh, lived yeah. that life. Yeah, yeah, I I think he's doing okay. Um, so moving right along, um, you know, we are talking about a, a movie that I think has gotten more hype uh, than any other movie since Barbarian. To bring it right. back to Barbarian, right? So in a section that we're calling "Talk to the Hand," um, we're talking about "Talk to Me," right? And this movie, I think, just took the entire world by storm, and it was almost like like nothing you had ever seen before. I think there's very few movies whose marketing campaign and strategy was as effective as, as talk to me. So um, sparkle, what were your initial thoughts about spark to me? Uh, talk to me. Uh, what, what were your thoughts after, after watching it? Is this something that spoke to you? After watching it? Yes. Mm-hmm. I like, I loved it. And I was talking to I was talking to my brother about it and was telling him, you know, I don't think I've been hit this hard 
since hereditary. And by that, I mean like the whole feeling of unease and being creeped out. The last movie that I could think about that made me feel that way was hereditary. And there's just something about those two movies that hit different, at least for me anyway. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Daniel. Um, Yeah. I'm not going to bury the lead on this one. This one's another a 24 home run. I mean, they Mm -hmm. just, they, they knocked this out of the park and watched it clear the wall. It was so good. I was, I'm right with you on that sparkle. Like it was so unnerving just, just from the very beginning. I mean that, that opening scene until it ends, you're just, you're never comfortable with it. And that feeling of unease as the movie carries on causes some of those really intense and one specifically horrific scene to hit even harder because you're so wrapped up in it. In in a movie that was not very long, it did some amazing world building. It gave us it gave us the perfect amount of exposition. You know, we didn't we didn't get some sort of 10 minute foray into who this medium was, whose hand was now. No, mm-hmm. fuck all that. It was just like, Hey, that's a medium's hand. And now you can see ghosts. Let's move on. And then we all said, okay. And, and, and that, that's all it took. It was the perfect amount of world building. It was, uh, it was built around a small cast that, that did great. And yet it was just scary. Just every minute of it, every single minute of this movie, until I mean, until the credits roll, there there are no moments in this that that aren't scary. Because even the scenes when we get into some of the the family dynamics of some of the characters are still unsettling. Because you can tell that there's some sort of weird thing there with the family and the the one girl who's just kind of adopted this other family and the tension with her and her dad. So even those moments that are dramatic still leave you uneasy in a way that you're never allowed to relax. You're just always wondering when something's going to happen. The other genius thing about this movie is they really do, while the opening scene is horrific, they get well into this before you get your first major like pant shitting scare. And like they get you like they, they, they keep you engrossed so well until you get there that that moment hits hard. This thing was fantastic. Um, I am in agreement to me. This, this movie was um, so far. And, and I think it's going to be difficult to beat considering what's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, but in a year where an Indiana Jones movie came out, <laughs> this was my favorite movie of the year. Um, and Sparkle, you don't know this about me, but <laughs> I am. And I don't know the people, you know, but I can almost guarantee you I'm the biggest Indiana Jones fan that, you know, um, the man's cosplayed once ever. And it was to wear a fedora and carry a whip. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I, I'm requesting I, that cosplay for the next spooky, please and thank you. I, I have exactly one costume because it cost me so much money to put together <laughs> because it's literally like the hat and jacket and whip made by the same people who made Harrison Ford stuff. Like, I am just obsessed with this stuff. So, in a year where an Indiana Jones movie came out, this is my favorite movie of the year. And I really like Dial of Destiny. There was something about this movie that spoke to me. And I know what that thing is. And it's the same reason why Hereditary spoke to me. And I love that you you put those two things together. Because Hereditary is my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, 
and it's grief. And grief for me is the scariest thing that can happen to a person. Some people are afraid of darkness. Some people are afraid of aliens, of demonic possession. I mean, there's a horror movie for everyone out there. The thing that scares me the most is grieving. And um, the this movie handles it in a way that's totally different from hereditary. It doesn't feel like hereditary. And yet when you're done, the sort of like, burdening that you feel on your soul is the same as hereditary because they're, they're both exploring this, this subject of, of grief, be it in different ways. But that topic of grief is something that once you've experienced it, there's nothing that can ever possibly supplant it as the worst thing you've ever gone through. And, and I think that that's why Mia is such a, a tragic character, but also such a, such a, a character you can really connect with. You know, there's, there's something about her that I think makes this story all the more, all the more amazing. So, I mean, and that's the perfect way to get us into where we're going next. So uh, in a section that we're going to call, I let you in, I mean, let's, let's talk about the story of this movie because you even mentioned that, that there are movies for things that scare everybody. And we've, you know, like possession movies are a thing where usually there's this one character who's immensely tragic because they become possessed and it's about them trying to be saved. What we get and talk to me is this really new kind of fresh take on the idea of possession, which is a group of teenagers doing it for fun and then the wheels come off, right? So you 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 create this environment where getting possessed is the new party drug. So uh, just kind of going through the story. I mean, is this was this the type of movie where the story was only there to take us from A to B? Or I mean, I know we we're going to go with this. So I'm going to throw to you first, Dave. I mean, or was it a compelling story? I think that this is an incredibly compelling story, but I think that the um the possession angle is um, is kind of a red herring. Um, it didn't really matter what it was. It could have been a hand that you uh, that you touched that belonged to a medium. It could have been a book that you read from, like uh, you know, like like the Necronomicon, Ex Mortis. It, it could have been anything, and we still would have ended up here, which is a story about a girl grieving her mother. And being unable to connect with people because of that grief. But that disconnect between her and everyone around her, because they're so consumed by their own lives. And really, is it their own lives they're consumed with? Or is it the lives that are inside of this thing? You know, like that is I think one of the most interesting uh, for the listeners. That, that was my phone. I held up. Um, <laughs> we are also an audio medium. Yeah. <laughs> um, th that to me, I think is one of the most interesting things because when, when we first see Mia interact with a group of people, not just with Jade, not with Riley, but with a, with a group, they look at her as almost a burden. Like, why did you have to bring her, you know? And, and we all know what that's like. Because we all have that person who's been broken up with, who's lost someone close to them, and they're no fun to be with. And they're no fun to be with because they're grieving. Right. And that's precisely the moment in which they need you to be there. But they're not fun. 
and they're not going to give you that fun. So th there's, I, I think this beautiful exploration of grief from both sides where it's the person grieving, but the person coping with the grieving person. And I think that that's a really, really interesting angle to take here because yeah, Mia's not a lot of fun. And Mia does insert herself in people's lives. There's a moment there where Jade tells her, um, I wish you would never like put yourself in my family. I wish you'd never right. co-opted my family. I'm not exactly sure the wording that she uses, but it's it it stings because what Mia needed was a family. And in a lot of ways, Jade's family was that for her. And 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 her mom tells her that, like, you you are his family. He wants you to be here when he wakes up. So it's it's one of those things that like really stings. Like when you when your whole world is turned upside down not once, but twice, because the people that you were leaning on are like, yeah, you can't lean on us anymore, right? And you come to realize that, like, I haven't really been coping with this loss. I've been, I've been, you know, medicating myself with this. What happens when you take that medication away? You know, like, I'm an epileptic. Every day that I don't take medication, there's a chance that, like, I'm going to have a seizure and die. And that's something that I, I have to like, I make a conscious decision every day, you know, like I don't like what medication does to me. So that's a gamble that I'm going to take. You know, I, I really, really dig that aspect of of this story where it's not just me a story, which is the most compelling story there. It's the most compelling aspect of, you know, the big picture, but also all of these other characters, which are not that numerous, but how they all are dealing with Mia's grief her father, the brother that's not her brother, these friends who are not her really her friends. It, to me, that is the thing that for me was, was the most interesting aspect, but it's not the one that touched me the most because definitely the one that touched me the most is if you had an opportunity to talk to something that says it's that person you love for 90 seconds, what would you do for those 90 seconds? And that's that's all I thought of this. Like, you know, if I had 90 seconds to speak to my grandfather, what would I tell him? Right. What would I hope he told me? And if it's not him, do I care if it just says that it's him? It, I think that that's such a like we, we often don't see that in film where something causes you to think that deeply about your life. Usually you see that on the literature side. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of literature that explores that, but film, I think this was the first time, cause not even hereditary did this where I thought, what would I do in that situation? What would I do if I was Mia and someone that I loved was being put in harm's way, but it meant me being able to communicate with someone I can't communicate with anymore. Would right. I allow it to continue? Would I push it? And I think allowing yourself to consider the dirtbag inside and say, yeah, I think I would do that is, is a very human thing that not a lot of movies are able to do. Sparkle, what do you think of the story? I absolutely love the story. And I think the idea of using an embalmed hand instead of a Ouija board was mm -hmm. genius. Right. They made it look so damn fun. And <laughs> As far as Mia goes, I felt really emotionally invested. Like, I just wanted to hug her. I felt so bad for her. You know, with Mia having lost her mother, and like you were saying, what would you give to speak to somebody that you love that has passed away? 
they used her grief as a catalyst for all hell breaking loose. And these entities, whatever they were, whether it was her mother or not, manipulated the whole situation with her. I just thought it was it, it was great how they put all that together. Yeah, I uh, this is definitely one where, yes, you can remove the the item. Right. Because, yes, it could have been anything. But this movie is the opposite of a, of a Texas chainsaw, right? Where the, the story is just mm -hmm. there to get you from point to point. The, the, the gore and the horror of this movie are intrinsic in what is a, an amazing story. I loved the way that, that we're, we're presented with this idea of the hand being a party trick. And, you know, it, it's almost... There, there, there's an interesting angle to this where it's it's almost like it, it it could almost come off as like some cheesy like anti-drug parable you know like some like yep. after school special but they managed to steer clear of it becoming just that which was really cool so you've got these kids and yeah they've got 90 seconds where they go in and they're just they're they're when they come out of being possessed by whatever spirit happens to they they let in when they're holding the hand, then they're all just sitting around and, and, and drinking and, and having a good time. And, and it, it becomes this thing where it's, it's just a party trick. Like, as I was watching this, I texted Dave and I was like, a younger, more ignorant Daniel would have fucked with this heavy. Like I would have been all over this. If somebody had told me like now I've, I've, I've read a lot of literature that has explained to me why I should not. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, it was, it was, it was this really cool thing where it was just, it was, it was a fun take on, on something that that's been done in the beginning. And then it just uses that as a vehicle to explore these things, you know, because right. there also becomes the element of, when you get into that part of the story where the spirit that may or may not be Mia's mother, I'm leaning more towards not, and we're mm -hmm. going to talk more about that later. But when it tells her that she has to kill Riley, she's got to put him out of his misery. And she, you get this, you get this moment where she's now letting her connection with the spirit of what she thinks is her mother drive her to maybe do something selfless if she is, if she's actually helping Riley, but you're watching knowing that it's actually just her doing like attempting to possibly do something very selfish in the fact that she just, she just wants to her. She wants her mom to be a part of her life so bad again, that if, if this, this entity that she thinks might be her mom is telling her to kill essentially her brother, you know, her best friend's brother, this family that's adopted her in, and she's going to do it. I mean, she shows up at the hospital with a pair of scissors in her back pocket that she just used to accidentally kill her dad. The grief of that did not slow her down. Like at that point, she's so far gone that you have this weird moment where you're torn between like, uh, like Sparkle was saying that sympathy that you've had so long for Mia Suddenly you hit this weird fork in the road with it where you're trying to determine if you're still feeling sympathetic for just all of this trauma in her life or if now she is kind of taking on an, an, an antagonistic role and you, you're starting to root against her because she is now becoming the antithesis to what you thought 
the the hero's journey was going to lead her to, which is another very interesting element of this story. In when we we start off with, I mean, we start off with a very classic hero tale: tragedy strikes, you know, finds finds new people, new tragedy strikes, and you know, she's she's trying to fight back from it. And they put a lot of effort into fighting back from Riley just getting destroyed when i was talking earlier about that first scene that really scared the hell out of you did that scene of riley going past the 90 seconds and when he starts slamming his face into that desk how did that sit with the two of y'all because that was brutal for me sparkle what did you think of that scene i remember like i felt like my jaw hit the floor and i turned to the person next to me and was like what the fuck? Like they're not playing. I, literally, my mouth was like, it. It was wild. I was Dave. It was. It was shocking. Yeah. Um, and I shouldn't have been because they raised the bar so quickly with with Duckett and and his brother at the beginning of the right. movie that I should have expected it to happen. Um, but it was. It was necessary. Yeah, it was absolutely necessary. The brutality of that scene is necessary for the rest of the movie to to kind of make sense, because if they don't ramp it up at that moment, the insanity of the rest of the movie kind of comes out of nowhere. And so yeah. you, you 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 need to be hit with, you know, it, almost like a cartoon character with a piano over the head to have the rest of this movie kind of be like, oh, okay, no, I, I, I get where this is going. And I'm, you're so engrossed in the story the first time that you watch it, that you're at least for me, I wasn't even thinking about where the story was going because from that moment on, I was so into it. Like I could have been another character in that room with them. And I had no idea where it was going because it was happening to me. It was it, it was so so necessary. And well, I know and that what, it's it's very easy to just call it gratuitous, right? Um, because because of the brutality, um, and especially because you see his face later. You know, I, I I think it would have been very easy for the movie to like not show us his face, especially since there's so many occasions where things are kind of left up to our imagination. But I think that we need to see him. We need to see the fallout of that for us to understand what the inability of letting go of grief and, and death and loss can do to not just you, but the people around you. Because um, ultimately, that's what that's what the high is, right? When when you take the hand and you say, I let you in, what you're letting in is death. So the high that you feel afterwards is being alive. Which and and all of these other characters are reveling in that high. They're all loving being alive. But Mia can't because right. she can't let go of the death that has consumed her life. And and that's ultimately why she and I, my guess would be Duckett as well fell into the grips of the hand because well, and- they couldn't let it go. And speaking of death being the high, one other thing, if I if I could circle this back around to Kiefer, like we were talking about at the beginning, this movie was 
flatliners for a new yeah. generation. Yeah. Like that, that's absolute because I 100% agree with you. What they were experiencing was what's on the other side. And so they, they took it from another angle. Whereas in flatliners, you know, they were actually medically killing each other and then bringing the, bringing them back to life. But it had those same type of things, right? There's a time limit. Um, the stuff comes back. If you stay too long, this had a lot of flatliners vibes and that is not a bad thing. Yeah. Okay, like, that blows my mind. I never really thought about that, but yes. Yeah, like and, and and that that's absolutely not a bad thing. I mean, Flatliners is is an amazing movie. If if you're one of our younger listeners or viewers and you've never seen Flatliners, Flatliners is this in the early 90s, like 93, 94, I think yep. maybe. Um it, it's it, it's absolutely this. And so I loved that idea that yeah, the high is you're experiencing what's on the other side. And mm. and and you're you're inviting it in. Uh and so I did I I I do agree that while it was brutal that scene, it was necessary. Like we needed to see how bad this could get because yeah, we see Duckett, we can see that he stabs himself in the face and that's mm -hmm. terrible, but it's, it's a momentary thing. And then we've moved on and now we're back to happy go lucky kids. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was, it was absolutely necessary to shatter this world that had been built around the hand and bring us back to the tragedy that the hand causes in people like Duckett. So, I also think that it was um, the uh, I'm probably going to massacre their names here, but the the Phil, the Philippu brothers um, who who made this this was the evolution of um, Peter's scene in Hereditary. If if we're going to bring yeah. it back to that, you know, when he had yeah. this scene where he just slams his face into his desk, it's like they saw that and they were like, "We love that. We love the impact that had. How do we?" What, how do we turn that up to 11? Like, where's the next step in that, right? And again, if you're going to call back to these other things, consciously or subconsciously, like they made the right choices about what callbacks yeah. to make. You know, it's 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 often a thing where you, you homage the wrong thing and it makes your work suck too, right? They went back and they touched all these things that are amazing movies and and kept it going. One other parallel between this and uh, Hereditary is the ending. And I want to make sure that we take a second to just discuss the ending. Because like I said, what we set up here is a very traditional hero's journey. But we don't get the end that maybe we all saw coming, right? So Mia ends up dead. And she is now one of the spirits that people are talking to with the hand. We don't get a tidy little bow. We don't get a happy ending for Mia. We do get glimpses of maybe Riley and Jade get a happy ending. Uh, we we do get the idea that that some people can conclude with with this in a way, but Mia does not. So the question that I have for y'all is, you know, do you like that it it's it's concluded, but still kind of feels open ended? And I mean, does it bother you that it's not a happy ending, Dave? I think that it's the perfect ending because um, something that. Um, you, you kind of touched upon in the um, the scary stories to tell in the dark episode. Um, I kind of hate movies that force a shared universe or force a sequel upon you. Franchisable um, IP. Yeah. You know, to me, um, if you can tell a good story, you've done your job. 
And, and the story ends when the credits roll. If I have to wait for the next one, then you haven't really finished your story and I feel gypped. Right. Um, this ends and it ends on a sour note. And I think it needs to end that way because if this ends with Mia surviving and it ends with Mia um, being able to face her grief, I think that that is a little too neat because right. you would either have to jump forward in time so much for me to believe that she handled her grief that it would be like, well, where's the rest of the story? Because you only told the first half then, right? Or she has to die. And and I think that that ending is much more powerful because I think it's very real. I think there's a lot of people that get consumed so wholly by their inability to let go of the past and of the people that they love that they can't focus on the people that are left and they can't focus on themselves without them. Um, that they lose everything and everyone, um, whether that be um, by them losing their lives or by them just having others exit their lives because they're, they're, they're tired of trying to bring them out of this. And I think that owning your own um, grief, you know, bereavement is a very real thing. And it's not on anyone to bring you out of it. You ultimately have to bring yourself out of it. Um, and that's something that Mia was not able to do. And I think that hearing people's stories about how far they fell without being able to face their grief is powerful. It's really, really powerful. And I think that this movie hits harder with her death, not because it's glamorized, because it's not, uh, but because it serves as a cautionary tale for those who maybe might be in Mia's shoes, who can't see the others trying to pull them out and can't see the others giving up on pulling them out because they can't reach up for the hand. Sparkle? What do you think? I I was good with the ending because I feel like it was it was fitting to leave an uneasy ending. The whole vibe of the film was just uneasy. So for it to just end, like you were saying, with a neat little bow just didn't <clears throat> seem appropriate for it. Now, I'm always down for leaving an open door for a continuation, unless it's the first installment of this last Halloween trilogy. <laughs> other, than, other than that, I'm, I'm always good with leaving, you know, an open door for a continuation. But I feel like the way this whole movie went, just the tragedy of it, mm -hmm. it just it seemed appropriate. It was it was perfectly fitting. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Daniel, are you back? Um, I think Daniel's frozen. All right, so we'll, we'll keep going, and he'll catch up with us eventually. Um, we're going to go on to our next section, which we're calling The Kids Aren't All Right. And um, this has, I think, one of the most economic casts that we've seen in, in quite a while, because really what you have is a very, very small cast of friends, and um, they're journey through this so um sparkle is there anyone in particular that 
or two or three, however many you'd like, uh, mm -hmm. to focus on that really kind of stood out, either for good or bad reasons? Yeah, I had a few of them. First of all, Haley, Zoe Tarakis, like I mm -hmm. hated her at the beginning because she was so snarky. And I think they were talking about she was new to their school. But then she was like, why did you bring Mia? I didn't like, just was not friendly at all. But then I found myself yeah. having fun watching her at the party. She was kind of just fun to watch. So I ended up, the second watch, I liked her better. Um, mm -hmm. I like Jade's mother. She kept it real. And I kind of wish like my mom would have been like her when I was like their <laughs> age. Yeah. Also, the whole relationship with Riley and Mia and their whole little sing-along to chandelier. It's very in wholesome. the car. It, it was it was the the sweetest thing ever. And I mean, come on, like for me, when I'm together with my friends and we've had too much to drink, chandelier is a song we always end up singing. So <laughs> that was near and dear to my heart. I love that scene. <laughs> but I love the relationship yeah. with Riley and Mia. And I feel like Mia was kind of a better older sister than Jade was to Riley. In a I mean, lot until, of ways, yeah. Know, what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but yeah, those are the characters that that stood out to me. More. I um man, you know, I, I I have to agree um on everything. But the thing I agree most with is Chandelier is fucking awesome. Um <laughs> I think that Chandelier's is one of the greatest pop songs of all time. I think mm -hmm. that it is masterfully written. Like that is one of the best composed songs ever it is so simple and like i could do an entire show just on how every element of that song interacts so perfectly um i think she is brilliant i think she's just fucking amazing uh so i love that that was in there um mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um danny what about you what uh what cast members kind of spoke to you uh so sorry about the mix up there I, my internet just completely crapped the bed for a minute but i'm back uh so uh I, i'm gonna go into this kind of blind don't know exactly who you guys have talked about but um for me i i one okay so just funny story as i was watching it and i was staring at joss desperately trying to figure out what i knew this dude from and so i go to his imdb and i'm like i know this guy from absolutely nothing like why do i feel like i know this guy and i'm just staring 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 and, um, but I, I hadn't like said anything out loud yet, just sitting there watching it. And I was finally like, I feel like I know this guy, but I've been on his IMDb. I can't figure anything out. My friend that I'm watching it with goes, it's cause he looks just like Tua. And I was like, son of a bitch. That's yeah. exactly why I feel like I know this guy. Like he is a clone of Tua Tungafailoa. So um, that was incredible um, <laughs> to figure that out. Really just kind of to put my mind at ease. Like it didn't do anything for his character. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> you, you you texted that earlier, and I was like, "Holy shit, he looks exactly like two. He looks more like Tua than Tua's brother looks like him." Yes, yes, he looks more <laughs> like Tua than Talia does. Um, so uh, as far, when it comes to the characters in this, I I had a hard time kind of figuring out who I liked more than anybody else, right? Because everybody seemed to be coming at this from such a from such a different place like it, it became a moment where i didn't like at first yet yeah, obviously you're kind of more attached to mia and then 
then you start to feel for Jade because she just wanted to protect Riley and, and Mia's the one who, you know, says it's okay. And so you, you start to feel for her and then maybe, you know, then you, you start to get a little bit against Mia and then, then you realize, then you, you start to, you start to understand Mia's coping process with her grief. So you're, you're back on board with her and there, there's a lot of back and forth. Um, as far as just like the the acting performances, yeah, I, I mean it, it it comes down to Mia just just being incredible, right? And and so you it was what was really great about this though was every character who got screen time and a name was was meaningful. The one exception being Riley's friend, right? But he at least gave us the one little bit of comedic relief that we got in this movie. Uh, other than that, everybody who we who had spoken dialogue in this, and it's not many people, ends up being a a great character. The one that I that that looking back on it and rewatching it last night that really stuck with me was when they go and they meet up with Duckett's brother. And this is a guy who doesn't want anything to fucking do with them. As far as he's concerned, these Joss killed his brother. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he might as well have taken the knife and, and done it uh, as far as he's concerned. And we get him for just this short amount of screen time. But everything he says is poignant and powerful. And again, we're dealing with somebody who is having to deal with their own grief. And now ask a group of people that he barely knows roll up to him at a bus station. They're like, yo, that sucked, but get over it and help us. No, fuck you. Like, I don't, I don't owe you a thing. And, and his, his performance in that moment, it gives all of that. Right. It, it gives that. No, like, why? Why would I do anything for you? I don't owe you guys anything. Sucks that you're into this. You know, it's like what he says to Josh, you know, he's like it. What hurts the worst is he thought y'all were his friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and and you his one moment there makes him such a compelling character when, you know, when it starts off, you get him screaming at everybody to turn their phones off and stuff like that. But that one piece of him at the bus stop ends up turning into something that's that's just a really powerful moment and and a great character and i think the fact that somebody who got that little screen time still leaves an impact uh even upon rewatch shows how well they utilized uh the economy of characters that they had here um i think that this cast is proof positive of something that I've been saying for years, which is that I'm really fucking tired of seeing the same actors in fucking everything. We see the same A-list actors in everything. It's all fucking Marvel. It's all uh, Disney Pixar. It's like that same fucking 20 people is what you see everywhere. You turn on Star Wars and it's fucking everyone that you've seen before in all the other same fucking things. Why is it? I don't appreciate this Pedro the, Pascal. Well, uh, listen, he's excluded. Okay. <laughs> Blasphemy that you're he's, spitting all over the podcast. Pe- right Pedro now. Pascal's excluded. <laughs> and, and and so is Chris Evans. I can watch him in anything. Um, but why is it that we have a movie filled with Aussies and Kiwis that I've never fucking heard of? 
and they fucking rock all of them. How yeah. can that be? How can that be? Take a chance on new fucking actors. You know, like I, I, I don't understand because like there is not one person in this movie that drops the ball. Not one. Right. And there's one name that I recognize. I recognize Miranda Otto. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, um, you know, Sparkle, you, you mentioned her. I think she might be my favorite performance in this because for me, it's very real. Her performance, uh, everyone's performance is very real, but hers is particularly real. Um, and I think I had a, I had a great mom, uh, have a great mom. She's still around. Um, but, um, she was not like her, but I knew moms like her where, you know, I, I love that scene where like the boyfriend shows up. She was like, what time's the party? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she goes, and every single kid is keeping the lie going, but she knows she's got no proof. And yet she knows it's, it's, it's that, it's that fucking mom instinct. And like, I don't have it as a father. I don't have that instinct. Like Blink the over question, here just throwing parties. You got no idea. The question would never even like occur to me to ask. And if I asked, he would lie straight out and be like, huh, what the fuck are you talking about, man? And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And just believe it. Moms have this thing. I don't know what it is, but they're better than we are in every possible way. And she captured that in such a real way. The way she looks at him and says, like, my my daughter's vagina is off limits (laughs) to me was like, like, I've been told this by actual people, you know, so I know that that's a real person. If that wasn't Miranda Otto's mom that she was channeling, maybe it was her grandmother, maybe it was her mother in law, it is someone that she knows. But that was such a real performance. Um, Elven instincts, man. Elven instincts. Yeah, it it it, it is. Yes, uh, and I'm going to correct you here. It is elvish instincts. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So let's you know, uh, I let's was, get our for, fantasy correct. Like the sir. entire time you were talking about it, I was like, <laughs> am I going to say elven or elvish? Uh, I did. I've, I've been back with my head the whole time. I chose poorly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, she was. She, she was so fantastic. Everyone was. Um, but um, her and I would say also, um, Mia for me really really blew me away um she had a way of you're you're right daniel that she she is the antagonist of this movie um she's also the protagonist you know she is her own worst enemy and she has a way of you uh, of endearing herself to you but you also like at some point and i think that point is different for all of us at some point being like you gotta fucking do something to help yourself and and it's it's sad it's sad that she doesn't and um i i managed to watch the movie again today i didn't know if i was going to be able to watch it again before we recorded and i found myself being so frustrated with her now that i had seen the movie and had experienced the story and 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 knew where it was going i could kind of just really um revel in the character moments and I found myself being so frustrated with her. Like, I, I just wanted to shake her and be like, but come on, like, look at all of these people around you that, that are living for you, that you can live for. But that's not what it's about either. It's about living for yourself. And um, I, I think that she really, really captures that. I, I don't know what loss she's had. That actress, um, what was her name? Uh, Sophia Wilde has had in her life, but she channeled it. And and that was, I think, for me, 
amazing. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, like I went and checked the, you're talking about just how real some of this comes across. I went and checked some of the ages of these actors, right? Because we've had that discussion mm-hmm. about like kids playing kids before. Mia's, the, the actress who played uh, with Sophie, Sophie Wilde, our Wilder, yep. uh, she's 26, yeah. but still perfectly kind of pulled that off. And, you know, you it was it was interesting where when you got into this, you know, even with some of these actors being a little bit older, they still kind of really captured, I think, is something that's always, uh, you know, a trope in horror, which is that, you know, kids, kids going to be kids thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're you know, and they 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 took all of this new stuff like oh they put it it's look at her snapchat story and and as soon as they go to do it everybody's phones come out and it, and it very it very perfectly encompassed all of that where they're 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 trying to get you know uh snapchat instagram stories you know put it up on tiktoks whatever but they it felt really natural it never felt like people just playing a, a, a younger character or or playing a role. I think that they really did a great job with capturing like, yeah, kids do stupid stuff. And, 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 and it's like, it's easy to just look at the outline of this movie and be like, well, why would you do that? You know, it, it's mm-hmm. so simple to, to just see the storyboard for this and go, well, why, why would you let yourself be possessed? Then, like I said, well, they they tiptoe that line of of like this really cheesy kind of after school special thing where it's like, well, it's because of peer pressure and because you get high and, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they 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 got real close to that line, but it never felt it never felt forced or preachy because these actors did such a great job making all of it feel so natural, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. So, um. There's there's uh, there's another small set of characters that we're going to talk about here in a section that we're calling beyond the Va- behind the veil, and that is the ghosts, the spirits of this mm-hmm. movie, which <clears throat> it's real easy to forget about them as characters because so few of them are seen on screen, but there are a handful that we do see. There are a lot that we end up interacting with, and so when you kind of look at the idea that these these spirits are so large a part of this movie without ever seeing them you know do does that does that give to or take away from how scary they are for you dave um i think that that actually helps because that we don't really get to see the spirits that are haunting Mia most of the time. And when we do, they're, they're out of focus, they're out of frame. Um, for me, that's, that's a great directorial choice because we're not experiencing her grief and we're not experiencing the, the pain and the loss that she feels. So for us to not really see them clearly, like we only ever really see her dad clearly once right um he's always off in the background off in the distance and i think that they do that um often and i think i started to notice it maybe 20 or 30 minutes into the movie the first time i saw it i was like um there's a lot that's happening in the background here and they've decided to not show us um 
because all you have to do is tell your camera operator like, hey, tighten up the aperture on the camera so we get like, you know, a deeper, you know, depth of, of field here. And uh, they specifically didn't do that. And and I think that that's a great choice for us to not really see these ghosts because the only times that we actually see it is when Mia is first getting into this thing. That guy that we get a flash of and then the woman who has drowned. And I think that one of the best choices that they could make was to let the camera linger on that woman because every other ghost that she sees is drowned like her. Her mother right. has her hair wet. She's dripping. Her eyes are in that same sort of like, you know, very bloated, you know, waterlogged sort of like, you know, drowned person look. And um, we keep hearing the gurgling, the water bubbling that we heard with that woman. You know, so very clearly, if, if you watch this and like think about it just a little bit, Right. Because if you're watching and you're like so engrossed in the movie, you might actually miss it. But I think that it's so in your face that it's like, no, all these ghosts are her. She never left her body. Right. Like she's the one who's controlling all these things that she's seeing. And death looks like what death looks like to her. Um, I, I think that the way that they handled ghosts here were just it, it was absolutely spectacular. Sparkle. I agree. I feel like not being able to see so much of it to me was more terrifying. Mm -hmm. I feel like less is more when you show me too much, not quite as scary, but I, I think that was, that was a great decision that they made and not showing too much. Yeah. So I uh, am enamored with the way that they approached uh, ghosts and communicating with them here. Uh, there is a book that I don't know if the, the, the creators of this movie read, I would assume not. It's a really weird book. It's called voices from, it's called voices from the void by, um, Hester Travers Smith. And it is a book where it's, it's six years of her documenting, uh, things that she experienced through automatic writing or using a spirit board and somebody transcribing, uh, what she wrote. It, it gets super off the rails. Like she she starts to claim that like she's directly speaking with Oscar Wilde, right? Like it's, it's a whole thing. It's, it's very weird, but that is weird. <laughs> it's so, oh dude. It's so much weirder than just her talking with him. Right. But anyway, um, in the beginning of the book, it's almost like an instruction manual on how to properly use a, a spirit board, a talking device, go through automatic writing, these types of things. And it, it and it is loaded with warnings on how to do this appropriately. And I, I'm, 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 I'm the type of guy, like when I, I watch a movie and there's a Ouija board, like I'm like, I scream advice at the TV, right? I'm like, you don't, you say goodbye, you know, shit like that. Like I, I just, I, that, that's what I do. And so one of the things that they approached in this movie, that is a major topic in that book and something that's not often addressed in movies that use some sort of medium to communicate uh, through the veil is the idea that the threat there is not necessarily in straight up uh, meeting, summoning, uh, bringing into this world something malevolent. It's the fact that they're smart and malevolent. It's the fact mm. that they can use your memories and uh, they use shells 
of people is what is what Travers Smith calls them. And it's it's people whose souls have passed on, but like their their existence is just kind of in the subconscious. And so once they're locked into you, which they physically invite them in. So now they have an image right. because they've been inside your brain. And they use that shell because then it becomes more powerful because then it's not just, Ooh, I'm a ghost and I'm going to haunt you. You know, it's, it's, Oh shit, I'm your mom. And I know that my death was a big deal for you. So you should do whatever I say, because this is all we have left. Right. And so it becomes infinitely more scary the idea that that this drowned woman that she is that she channels through the hand has basically accessed her files found a traumatic event and then used it against her because there there was something that i absolutely noticed through the beginning of the movie is every time she sees her mom she's in a worse state of decay slash bloating like a drowning victim would be and by that last time when she's right on mia's face the that the ability to wear that shell it's it's worn off and now we're we, i mean you can tell okay that's the woman we got a glimpse of when she grabbed the hand uh so i thought that that was that was great because that is like uh, you, like i said whenever you watch these movies it's always like ah i summoned a bad guy yes <laughs> but did you but now it's like now we're summoning we're summoning bizarrely smart bad guys which you know is is also is is way scarier it's it's one it's like it's like a james bond film you know so rarely in a in a bond film do we get a villain who's just like ah and like drops into a building and just blows everybody away we get these people who are so freakishly smart that it's terrifying you know and, and that's that's an element of the ghost that we don't always get. Normally a ghost is scary because it is gruesome and because it's ethereal. It's so much scarier to me that these things are that smart, that they would trick you into kind of joining their side and, and being a part of that. So one, I loved all of that. Two, I loved that some of the ghosts that we got, what we got out of them was just, awesome performances by these actors, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, uh, I believe his name was Daniel, right? The boyfriend. Yep. Um, yeah. Like mm -hmm. when, when he gets possessed that first time and he's just like groping himself and, and talking about how, you know, Jade doesn't do anything for him and, and ends up making out with the dog and all of that. Like that, that is a oh, moment yeah. where the character of that ghost it's just an amazing performance by that actor. And yeah. he did such a good job with that. But I also loved how that was just, it was so there, there's no way that if you'd actually show me whatever perv took him over in that moment, that it would have been scarier. It was just terrifying to see that there was something that would use his body and turn. What was this wholesome? He hasn't even kissed me yet. Character into this <laughs> grotesque pervy monster for 90 seconds. And so I think that in that aspect, when we don't see the ghosts, it makes it even better because now you're just left to wonder like, dear God, what was this person? 
when they were alive, that this is what they do. They get 90 seconds back on this side and that's what they choose to do with it. What an <laughs> awful person that must've been. Yeah. I don't want to see what he looks like. He's probably naked under a trench coat. And so <laughs> it, 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 at it least ends- you hope there's a trench coat. <laughs> at least I'm hoping there's a trench coat. <laughs> May- Look, a 24 has gotten, they love some male nudity. So they do. Knows, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But it, it, it also it was, led to, I think, my favorite line in the whole movie: "Get your thought dog out of here." <laughs> yeah, I, I I laughed even harder the second time. There was there was <laughs> there's a moment in that scene that it's one of those things where, like, yes, they speak English in Australia, but conventions are different, right? <laughs> and so, like, the, he starts doing all of that, and uh, I won't say it on this podcast because I know it is super offensive to some people. So I'll just say. Uh, the one girl's like, "Wow, this this spirit's a real. See you next Tuesday, right?" Yeah, and just and, and just kind of <laughs> just like throws it out there. And if you're not familiar with the fact that, like in Australia, that's just a word, right? Like right. it's just it's just something that yeah. they just say, but it's jarring. And then we're like, "Whoa, oh, okay, yeah, that's right." Yeah, Australia, Australia. <laughs> and so <laughs> I did also appreciate that, like the kids sounded like kids, and they yes. used like slang that w- didn't sound like it was written by or like, like 30 or 40 year old yeah or like you and i <laughs> trying to write dialogue for for kids you know uh and by kids you know i mean teenagers you know but you know the they're kids um i i loved that that you know it, it was very clearly that they had been taken over by the spirit and i think that you know the the drowned woman i think is the m- most perfect example because once she's inside of mia Mia is totally transformed. She's totally different. And there's a malevolence there. You know, everything that is said to Riley, you know, the way that she's kind of like her head is cocked and the run, 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 all of that. Like, it's absolutely terrifying. And it and it is a ghost. I mean, it's Mia, but it's not Mia. You know, it's it's Sophie Wilde not playing Mia. It's brilliant. That's a boy. (laughs) (laughs) He'll split you good. I'm like, oh, stop. (laughs) No. <laughs> have we have we ever seen ghosts being this manipulative and smart? Because when I'm watching it, I'm thinking, okay, this is demon territory. Isn't it usually the demons when they're doing an exorcism right. that you know take your deepest, darkest secrets and they know all your stuff and they access your files? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen yeah. a ghost. Yes, doing I, I, that. I, I, yeah, I, I was, I had that same thought, right? Where, like I said, that's why it's. They they took the concept of something as simple and age old as the ghost, and they they revamped it. They made it fresh. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it it does make sense because you know we've all met people that we think are fantastic, and we've met people that we think are awful, right? And if there is an afterlife, why would that not continue into the afterlife? You have no idea who you're letting in when you say I, I'd let you in, and you know they're their intentions are just as pure or evil as they were when they were alive. I would have to assume. Um, And I I think this kind of leads us into um, a really apt um, final section, which we're calling YouTubers did this for real. Um, This was directed by two brothers, uh, which, which to me, uh, not that that is what is most mind boggling, but the fact that, these two guys, uh, Danny Philippou and Michael Philippou, are YouTubers. 
And yeah. um, I, it, you, you, you say that and it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, they, they have a cute YouTube channel. It's not a cute YouTube channel. I mean, they have one of the biggest YouTube channels in the world. Yes. Um, uh, just shy of 7 million subscribers. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a big deal. Um, not that I can say I, I've, I've seen, you know, any of their content outside of this, but um, at least I hadn't before I saw this movie. Once I was like, who are these guys? I've never heard of them before. And I was like, oh my God. And then I watched some of the stuff and it, the content is not all good, but it's creative. And, and there's um, lots of like, there's effort that's put into this stuff. So like, I can, I can see where that line was like, you know, it started here and it ended here. Um, is there anything that you think like stands out as far as like a, a, a from a filmmaking standpoint and uh, sparkle, I'm going to throw it to you. We haven't thrown it to you in a while. Um, what, what to you stands out particularly from, from like the, the director point of view? Well, I looked into the brothers and I thought it was really cool because besides the Raka Raka YouTube channel that they have, they crewed on other films and one of them was a Babadook, yeah. which I thought was really mm -hmm. interesting that they had worked on that. And it seems to me from what I've learned about them that they've worked on these films and have kind of taken everything that they've learned, made their first feature film, and it it blew up like in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so cool how they did that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, <clears throat> they did a lot of really smart things with this, which, you know, and, and, and as they wrote and directed this, you know, yeah. so we, when, when we did hereditary, we talked about like, Oh my look at Ari Aster coming out of the box with this. This is incredible. This is his feature film debut. Bah, bah, bah. This is these guys feature film debut and they wrote and directed it, which is amazing. I think that they did some really smart things here by underscoring this movie there's not a ton of swelling music or moments where the music kind of takes over and when the music does it's 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 important to the scene like when we get mm -hmm. kind of the the montage style of them mm -hmm. all partying you know we get that we get that great teen movie feel out of that it's like oh you know it's like you see him grab the hand and then you just see him like come out of it and they're laughing and doing a shot and having a cigarette and you know we the music is important there because it, in that moment that's the film they wanted it to be they wanted it to be this this teen movie thing and so but then in later scenes the they keep the score and and the sound effects real low and they're real underneath and they're just there. So it's not just dead space. But then there are, there are times when the sound effects are vital, like the traffic going by before the final scene, you know, we, they did such a good job of you felt like, I, I can only imagine that if you were in theaters and you had like THX playing the sounds of these cars going by that you felt like you were standing right on the side of the road with them as, as they made these final decisions. They did some great, great stuff with that. The way that they did some of the shots with uh, with Mia seeing her mom, I think were were just they were crisp. They those those cuts between seeing her in a reflection in the window and then turning and her not being there. 
the way that they pulled all of that off, I think was great. And oh, and back to the sound effects, that constant nails scratching sound mm-hmm. that's just playing all the time. Just all these little things that are hallmarks of who we who we 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 constantly put up on a pedestal on this, right? We we talk about scoring and sound effects and we talk about carpenter. You know, we 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 talk about shots and 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 how and cuts. We're talking about Toby Hooper. When when we're when we're talking about all of these things, again, they manage to perfectly capture and homage so many of the right things. I don't really know anything about these guys except for the fact that they are obviously very smart about what leads they chose to follow when making this movie because they definitely did all the right things. They just, just every decision that they made while putting this movie together, I think was excellent. I I agree. Uh, for me, it was it was kind of shocking because I I think and and this is probably that you know I I'm a millennial, you know. So um, for me, YouTube is that cute thing that I use to pass time. I right. don't think of YouTube as a serious medium. Um, and I know that it is, and I know that it can be, um, and I know that's my own hangup. Um, like I, I think of like film, I think of television and, and then like, I kind of just, I'm very old school in that way, but I know that there's a lot of really great content out there. Um, and I know because I've seen a lot of really great content. Um, like I, I, I love, uh, I, I go to YouTube to watch a lot of, um, you know, sort of like how to stuff, like, you know, how do I yeah. get better doing this? How do I learn how to do this other thing? And I replaced a lot the of toilet this summer. Thanks to YouTube. Yeah. You know, um, I, uh, my wife had a piece of shit BMW that I used to fix up myself because it got real expensive to, to fix. And I practically got, you know, a, a, a my own fucking like degree in mechanic school from learning how to fix that thing up on YouTube, you know? So, uh, so there's a lot of really fantastic content out there, but I think that for some reason we don't expect to find good content out there. Right. And, you know, we expect that, okay, well, if, if you're, if you're talented enough, then you'll be in Hollywood. If you're talented enough, then you'll be in New York or you'll be in, you know, London and any one of these places, but we don't expect it to come from there. And, this is like the ultimate, like, Hey, fuck you. It does come <laughs> from here, you know, because these, these guys, wow. Um, they really fucking wowed me with, um, you know, I talked a little bit about some of those, you know, some of those choices that they made with the camera about keeping things out of focus. You know, that's, that's classic cinematography, those decisions. So, you know, th- this, is this was not made by, you know, uh, a couple of yahoos out in like the outback like this is these are guys who really really know what they're doing and you're right they went to a lot of the classic stuff here because it's not just flatliners like there's shit that i could say like fuck that was right out, that was william friedkin right out of the exorcist you know or or shit that was sam raimi right out of evil dead yep. you know there's there's little callbacks to things there and i think that that isn't done enough where I think so many creatives are 
so concerned with making their mark and being, you know, the next big thing. Like I, I, I want people to recognize me for the, the creative that I am, that we don't recognize that everyone comes from the stuff that came before. And it's okay to draw inspiration from that. It's absolutely okay. If you were to ask me who I think the greatest guitar player of all, all time is, I'd say it's Slash. Is he the fastest or the most, like, or the cleanest? No, because he's basically just Jimmy Page on speed. But <laughs> fuck, it's fantastic. You know, like, there's a reason why I love Led Zeppelin and Guns N' Roses. And and for, for me, that's what I think this is, is it's taking all those things that worked about so many other movies and saying, now we're going to do it in our own way. And in our own way is for a young audience that needs to be kept entertained constantly. And they didn't do that by flashing things on the screen. They did it by making them feel tense the entire yeah. time. There were very few moments where I actually felt myself like released attention where like my muscles loosened up where I started breathing normally. Like this movie was, I, I was basically one tense muscle the entire time I watched it. And, and I think that that is no small feat because when you throw out a movie like hereditary and compare this thing to that, like hereditary was one of those movies that everyone said, this is a game changer movie. And I think that talk to me is one of those movies. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, we've—I think we've hit it all. So we have reached that point in the show where it's time to us for it's time for us to give this thing a rating. So if you are new to the show, or you just need a quick reminder, whenever we rate a movie, we only rate it against itself. So we are not comparing this to Hereditary or any of those movies that we say that we've referenced. It's only fair to just look at Talk to Me by itself. So when we do that, we create a unique rating system for every movie. And Sparkle, since we have you on, whenever we have a guest on, you get to create the metric. So we're going out of a five possible what for this movie? I'm going to have to say five po possible fingers because you've got the hand. Oh, I like yeah, that. Five fingers out of five. Perfect. The whole so, hand. So you're, you're going whole hand off the bat. Five out whole of five hand. fingers for Sparkle. All right, yes. Dave, out of a possible five fingers, what do you give talk to me, man? Um, I don't do this often, but I'm going to give this a gold star, and I'm going to say that this has six Woo! out of five fingers. Uh, this movie is is perfect. It's fantastic. Um, I very rarely do this for a movie that um, is new, that I've seen you know, only you know once or twice, uh, in this case twice, but... Um, I, I don't see a, a situation in which I ever watch this movie and say, oh, you know what? I, I think that would have been better. Or I think this other thing would have been better. Um, this is the most perfect version of perfect. And I think that perfect has levels. Uh, we've talked about that before. Yeah. This is perfectly perfect. Uh, so for me, it's, it's six out of five fingers. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm like, I'm, I'm right on the precipice of six, right? Like I'm, 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 I'm standing at the edge, just trying to decide if I'm going to jump, right? If I, if I'm going to take that, if I'm going to take that, you were talking to Indiana Jones earlier, that step, you know, that leap, the of, leap faith. of faith off the right. lion's head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> quite there yet. So I am going to go five out of five fingers. Now, 
I am probably going to be watching this movie uh, for a third time, either later this week or next week, because uh, mm-hmm. a friend of the show, Hunger, has not seen it yet. So ah. I've invited him over to catch it because I'm like, yeah, no, you need to see this immediately. And that may be the viewing that puts me there. But so I'm not quite there yet, but I, I am going to go. I'm going to go the full the, the the full five out of five fingers because it was you're right. There's there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing I would have changed about this movie. There was not a single moment where I kind of went, oh, you know, like I, yeah. I every every single decision and everything that happened, I thought was perfectly executed. I thought that they just did so much. I loved the the characters that we had. I loved that it was a fresh take on ghosts and possessions and all of this. I love that it was another movie that you know that's the A twenty four thing, right? They they're they're addressing grief. We've done mm-hmm. we've done Midsummer. We've done Hereditary. Now we've done this. The, these are all movies that approach how we handle these moments of grief in our life, and everyone has been approached so uniquely. And this was, I think, like you've said a hundred times, Dave. This is the story of what happens when you can't move forward and you allow that grief to run your life and i down to the fact that i just i loved the way it ended i just have from from the from the party at the beginning to the i believe it was greek at the very end guy grabbing me his hand i mean from credits to credits everything between i think was perfect absolutely um so there you have it uh, we don't math here on Shiver, so uh, we're not giving this some sort of decimal point or some fraction. Uh, we're just going to round down, uh, and it is five. Five fingers out of five. That is a perfectly formed hand, and I am okay with that. Me too. Yeah. Uh, so, Sparkle, thank you so much for joining us here. I'm so glad that we hooked up at uh, at Spooky Empire and and that we could have you on the show. Um, is uh, w- w- would you like to promote any of your um, your stuff? I'm um, sure. Your, thank it, you yeah. for thank you for having me. Um, it was really nice meeting you guys, and so I'm mm-hmm. glad we could do this. Um, on Instagram, I just started like being more active on Instagram, but it's spooky, scary, sparkle, and it's also spooky, scary, sparkle or sparkle in the darkness on TikTok. I, and- I, I love that name. Sparkle in the darkness is just <laughs> like you. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and you. some, some great content on there. I, I, I love some of your breakdowns. I love that you've been taking time to kind of put word out there about like some of the lesser known movies and stuff like that. And so some great content, make sure you head over and check her out on all of her social medias. You'll find her linked on all of our stuff, which you can find links to everything at shiverpod.com. You will find links to all of our social medias, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We are most active on Instagram. Uh, That is actually how we ended up getting sparkle on the show with us today. Mm -hmm. Uh, So We appreciate you so much. Make sure you head there. You can comment on our stuff. You can let us know if there's something we need to watch. Shout out to David Dupree, um, a fellow Tuscaloosa who um, has been really active on our Facebook, has been sending me some really great stuff, put me on to 
um, a new A24 movie that I plan on watching uh, that I think he said is streaming on Max. I think it's called The Hole in the Ground. Hmm. And I believe he said it's like hmm. a, a different take on the Changeling mythology. Oh, cool. Um, and so he had originally just sent it to me because he was like, hey, look, the spider, this this poster has got a kid eating a spider. This will probably terrify you. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> um, but he's been really active with us here lately. Been talking to me a lot, sending some great ideas. Reach out to us, guys. I, I, I use all of them. We're, we're on them all the time. Like I said, uh, we're always looking for new people to be on. Sparkle, you've been amazing. Um, make sure you, you know, connect oh, us with your you. brother. Next time we'll have both of you guys on uh, because meeting both of you was fantastic. That was y'all's panel was the first one we went to at Spooky where we did more than just kind of like sit and just the two of us talk. It was yeah. when we were like, OK, so there are ones of these that are just open forum and going to yours did a lot for the way that we kind of interacted with people when we were there. So mm -hmm. I think that the way that you run that and the fact that you do an open forum thing like that is just fantastic. So um, it was great to meet you. You guys have been awesome. Make sure you head to shiverpod.com. Check out all that stuff. Let us know what we should be watching. We are working on our calendar for things that are coming up, but we don't have to, we don't have one to tell you is going to be next week's episode quite yet. Keep an eye on our Instagram. You'll know as soon as we know. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much. <laughs>